Hi, I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Town Hall Review Podcast, where we bring you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Our podcast is brought to you through partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's a piece I hope you enjoy from my cigar-smoking friend, Dennis Prager. George Friedman, founder and president of Geopolitical Futures. It's a private intelligence service which is available by subscription to people, and that you can sample it up at DennisPrager.com. Again, the name is Geopolitical Futures. George Friedman, good to be with you. Good to be here. So we, you and I talk international affairs when we talk. So let me begin with this. Some of the uh, greatest troublemakers in the world... And, and if you don't agree with my assessment of these regimes as such, obviously say that. I always tell guests, not an issue to differ with me. But uh, if we would argue that Iran, Turkey, and Russia are uh, uh, troubling uh, regimes in the world, they seem to be hurting right now as compared to the recent past. A, is that true, and B, is that good? It is true, and I'd add China to that. Yeah, I was uh, going to add China, China is, yes. Mm-hmm. There is problems. Uh, good or bad, it's inevitable. I mean, these countries are rising and falling and moving about, and they're inevitably running into problems. Uh, they're facing the United States, which is, contrary to popular opinion, extremely strong and able to do a whole bunch of things. And they're all trying to figure out how to control the United States uh, by various means. And they're failing, and the United States is hitting back. They hit back on the Chinese. They hit back on the Turks. They're hitting back on the Iranians. The Russians are getting slapped. And these countries are all hurting from that, plus their own incompetence. So why... Why isn't there a celebration of these events in the American and Western media? Well, the story that's being told, the narrative, as they say, is that the United States weakening significantly and is losing its position as the leader of the world. That other countries, such as China, are rising and shortly to over well in the United States, and that countries like Iran and Turkey no longer worry about the United States because the United States is so weak. So the heart of the story is that, and this has been an older story than just Trump, but it's certainly accelerated since then. The heart of the story is that the United States is in decline, and therefore all these other countries uh, are free to play. Yeah, but that's the opposite of the truth. Well, the truth is the United States is actually in fairly extraordinary shape compared to these countries. Yes. The Chinese are now instituting a dictatorship because they're so weak and divided. The Russians are reeling from low oil prices. The Turks are, well, they're not really on the verge of collapse, but they're hurting seriously. And the Iranians are facing an internal uprising. So when we compare the United States to these or the European Union, um, you know, we're up to our usual tricks and enjoying ourselves carrying on, but we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, but they don't want to, they don't want to tell the truth because that might be pro-Trump. Well, you know, the, the problem that they have is they really don't understand the world. They don't understand what power is. 
they don't understand what it means to be the world's largest economy. They don't understand what it means to have the only global military force. Uh, they don't understand these things. They seem to go on reputation. And the reputation of the United States in their mind is plunging because of Trump. Well, even if it were plunging because of Trump, the United States would still have the largest military and the largest economy in the world. And it's not plunging because of Trump, because there are a lot of people out there actually in these countries I visit like Trump. The leaders like Trump. They did not like Obama because Obama was constantly preaching to them and undermining them. They like Trump because, for the most part, Trump leaves them alone. And they appreciate that. you got to write an op-ed, George. <laughs> you, have a mo- <laughs> you have a moral obligation to write that up. It's the- I hate hate mail. I really do. <laughs> oh, like you do? Oh. Kill me. Oh, that's funny. I I I don't. I'm inured. I've been inoculated. But anyway, that's a very important thing. So let's talk about this. The another narrative, as as you say, as they say, the other another narrative is that this president is just simply destroying the Western alliance. How would you react to that? My reaction would be that the Western alliance collapsed a while ago, but nobody noticed it. An alliance consists of two parts, uh, the alliance and its purpose, and a military force capable of sustaining it. The Germans have no military whatsoever, but they want the Americans to guarantee their national security. So here's the problem with this alliance. The Europeans' GDP, its, its economy, is a little larger than the American There's no reason why the Europeans shouldn't have the same military force, except they don't want one. So my argument would be nobody has destroyed the alliance nearly as much as the Europeans did. And the only thing that Trump did was call them on it. Right. In other words, the body is dead, but nobody acknowledges it. It's like the the famous Monty Python uh, parakeet. Though a parrot, I don't know if you know that routine. The guy brings back the parrot. He goes, the parrot that you sold me is dead. The guy goes, that's not dead. <laughs> well, in this case, my, my story on this is Brussels is the headquarters of NATO, and they have really great dinners and cocktail parties, and they'd stop if we all admitted it wasn't NATO. So all the NATO officials say it's still functioning. Our problem is that we are a global power. We have interests in Korea, in the South China Sea, we have interests in Europe, in Poland and Romania. We are engaged in the Middle East. The Europeans are small regional entities who don't visualize the world. They think it's all about them. The United States is neglecting Europe because, thank God for once, nothing much is happening in Europe that we have to worry about. But the Europeans want to be the center of our attention. And when they, we aren't, then we're saying destroying this alliance. Well, our point is we've been fighting for years in the Middle East. We haven't had much support from these countries. They're relevant to the Korean problem. They're relevant to the China problem. We have serious issues. And their view is you can't have a serious issue that's more serious than us. And is that over and over again? They can't grasp the size of American interests. In light of, of, of your views, which I share, I I, I have been actually thinking, and I have not said this on the air, but so I'll just pose it as a question to you. Why are we uh, continuing to keep troops in Germany? Well, 
we already built the facilities. We want to have troops close to the Russians, close to the Middle East. We spent the money on the bases. It's not a bad place to go. We're not expecting any fighting there. But if you want to keep troops in reserve, close to battlefields we do have, Germany's not a bad place to do it. Otherwise, you have to start building again. I see. If uh, this is a pure conjecture question, if there were a vote, and then I'm going to ask the same exact question about South Korea. So let's let me combine them. But there are two questions. If there were a vote, a, a, a plebiscite in Germany, should American troops leave or stay? How would Germans vote? I think it'd be very, very close. And I think that uh, it might even be that we should leave, which is why they're not going to hold a plebiscite. But if we left, uh, it would be the end of NATO. And the elite wants NATO to continue to be there. Because remember, under the law, under treaty, there's something called Article 5, which if one country is invaded, the U.S. is legally bound to defend them. This is why Trump spoke about why are we letting Montenegro, a small Balkan country, into NATO. Because what he was saying is we are now legally obligated to defend Montenegro. And this is the Balkans. Who knows who will attack them? We're automatically in a war. And this is the jokes we make about NATO. This is the problem. We follow treaties. The treaty has the force of law. And the force of law says that if any of these countries are attacked or feel themselves threatened, we must come to their assistance. The Europeans keep extending the size of NATO, as they did the EU, and that means that the Americans, the only ones able to fight a significant war, our obligations are rising and rising. So when Trump said, you know, why are we defending Montenegro? Everybody was shocked at his outrageous behavior. It was a very good question. Why are we now defending Montenegro? All right, let's go to South Korea. What if there were a vote there? I think it would be overwhelmingly that we stay. Uh, the South Koreans are not fools. They see the North Koreans north of their border. Uh, they would like to manage Trump a little better than he's willing to be managed. But on the whole, they have the North Koreans, they have the Chinese, the West, the Japanese, whom they don't very much like, to the East. And so I would argue that most Koreans, I've been to Korea, Several times, most Koreans uh, are very happy to keep it the way it is while making their moves toward the north. Let's go to Turkey. Why is the lira in a free fall? Well, remember in the first place that Turkey has grown dramatically between 2002 and 2015, 2016. It had the same kind of growth rate the Chinese had. And like the Chinese, they just kept growing without the discipline of recession. Recessions help economies behave better by getting rid of weak businesses and so on and so forth. So they were going to go down anyway because they couldn't keep up that growth rate. The problem was the coup in 2016 kicked off a series of responses by Erdogan, who was trying to consolidate his control, that scared all foreign investors. Now, a huge part of the Turkish economy depends on foreign investment to keep going, not unlike the Chinese. 
But the foreign investment has dried up. You've got to be really crazy to want to invest in Turkey under these circumstances. And that grew, uh, created pressure, created pressure, until finally the economy started to crack and the lira went down. The problem is that Erdogan doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't know how to get out of this fix because he's terrified that the, the austerity he would impose would make the people oppose him. And he's already got plenty who oppose him, but if the, his supporters started to be unhappy, his tenure might be short. Okay, I got that. So let me understand. The The decline is, A, partially inevitable because they had such an upsurge, and partially it is a result of his mismanagement of the economy following the attempted coup? No, I put it this way. The things he had to do in order to make certain that he wouldn't be overthrown ran counter to an efficient economy. He got rid of a lot of experts. He got rid of a lot of businessmen who didn't side with him. And most importantly, frightened foreign investors who were critical. So I'm not sure he could have handled the coup any other way than he did. But having handled it that way, uh, he's put the economy in a pretty bad position. I, I just want to say, for, the, for my listeners' sake, and I'd like you to react, it is truly proof that people don't realize huge things. As a general rule, people don't realize huge things when they live them. They're only realized afterwards. And I'm thinking about how huge, and if again, if you differ, tell me, but something huge happened in our lifetime in just the last 15 years or however long Erdogan is in power, 10 years. And that is going from a, a true bridge between West and Islam to becoming Islamist, a true secular state becoming a religious state. This is huge in my view. Is it, do you share that? Yeah, but there's a reason. Whenever the Arab world was pacified, it was the Turks who pacified them. Uh, you know, when we look at the Middle East, we look at the Sunni Arab world, it is normally in chaos. And the only ones who have ever been able to handle that is the Ottoman Empire, by being absolutely brutal and ruthless. Erdogan uh, and the people around him think of Turkey now as returning to the Ottoman Empire. Yes, they're Muslim, but business comes first. And they also see the Arab world as a huge problem. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing to watch the world today. The Chinese want to become middle, the Middle Kingdom, which is the word for China in Chinese. The Persians want to have the Persian Empire back. The Turks want the Ottoman Empire back. And Putin wants the Russian Empire back. <laughs> is that is that? But the the interesting part is all smoking hashish. They don't know how they're going to pay, make payroll next week. I mean, that is very that is that is fascinating. So what? Wait. So in light of that, what conclusion do you draw? Well, in light of that, I see the Eurasian Peninsula and as a whole in total disarray. I see the Chinese in deep crisis. The Russians in deep crisis. Uh, the Europeans in deep crisis, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, what we see is Eurasia destabilizing. What we see is North America, for all its problems, stable. 
So we're seeing a change of the guard again, where all of the Eastern Hemisphere that we focused on is coming apart. You're describing the Eurasian collapse, as it were, or and and from China to Turkey, Russia, so and, and clearly parts of Europe, if not all of Europe, but not North America. So here's the question. Is the difference socialism versus free, more free market uh, economy that we have? Well, you know, I'm going to be romantic and talk about our land. You drive through the United States and you see vast areas of empty land that could be settled. And that's our wealth. It's land, labor, and capital. And we have the land and we have the capital. You drive through China, you drive through Russia, you see vast areas of land that can't be settled by anyone. Europe, there's 350 Germans per square kilometer. We've got 35 per square kilometer, not counting Alaska. The difference to me is not only in the system of government we have, but the land, and that land makes our system of government possible. You can't be free when everybody's standing next to each other, either impoverished or with no room to move. We have room to move, and that allows us to have a capitalist system of government. And we're very fortunate of that, plus we have a regime that, for all its serious flaws, you know, enhances that. So I always go back to this country, this, this land that we live in, and it's extraordinary. When you travel around the world, you see the tremendous difference, the limited space, the manner in which people squeeze each other just because there are so many of them. And then the United States. I go to Montana and say, my God, this should be a country of its own. And I'm it's sure they agree with you in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> well, yet, having said that, uh, Japan is packed, and Singapore is packed, and, and I mean, I know Japan has been a problematic economy you know, for about 25 years, maybe more, but nevertheless, when it was thriving, it was still packed. So isn't it more an issue of system than land? Yeah, but where does the system flourish? Japan was extremely lucky. It lost the war to the United States, and General MacArthur wrote the Constitution for Japan. And that allowed them to flourish. Would they have ever gotten there on their own? I don't know. Singapore is a special case. It's a city, not a country. But my, my point is that we're blessed with a country of extraordinary, not riches, but extraordinary space. Right. There but are always we, going to be exceptions. My, my, me? Right. No, no. My, my, I agree, but... I still believe ultimately the values issue is is going to be determinant because uh, we, we, you and I rarely get into American politics, but so it's your your choice whether to comment on it. But if we start giving everything for free, like they think you should do in Europe and elsewhere, I I don't think we will flourish, no matter how much land we have. I agree. And the, when we have to ask the, idea, ask the question, why do the Europeans behave the way they do? They're afraid of their own people. Exactly. And yes. No, no. That's. Forgive me. I. <laughs> that's, that's what. Pe- it is. 
the Europeans have such little trust in Europe that they feel they need to buy their populations or they will become Nazis or communists. Or rise up and behead them. Their history is the history of their population rising up against them. And they're afraid of them. And so they can't, and there's reasons, the land partly, they can't afford a system like we have. They're, they're afraid of it. We have lots of room to maneuver and to say to somebody, if you can't make it here, you can't make it. We're not going to help you. We don't say that enough, but... Yes, exactly. So, right now, you sound, I'm just inferring, uh, you sound somewhat optimistic vis-a-vis the United States and the world. I am. Um, You know, everything in the United States somehow pivots around Donald Trump, and he's one of three parts of our government. But when you actually look at what he does as opposed to what he says, which I've got to admit sometimes baffles me. Uh, he is a cautious, careful guy who takes risks at the right place. This China trade war, it's working exactly as he thought it would. And the Chinese are reeling from the effect. And I'm picking that as just one example. I mean, he said crazy things going to NATO and then you got a bunch of countries pledging to go to 2%. So whatever... Well, let me just say, explain to everybody, excuse me, pledging to go I'm to sorry. 2% of, of their GDP toward defense. Right. It means that they have pledged, and some of them, six of them, have moved to that level of funding, which means they're getting a military. So separate out what he does and what he says and what you think about his personality and everything else, because there are a whole bunch of presidents I didn't like. This one is stranger. No, no question about it. But he is oddly effective. And one of the things the media is not going to give him is that he is effective in achieving things. Um, yeah, he went to Moscow and they asked him about something, about whether or not he held the Russians responsible. And I thought the media was absolutely irresponsible. You don't, while Putin and Trump are on platform, ask Trump to say, did your host commit a crime? So when you look at the whole picture and forget the rhetoric and everybody carrying on, and we look at the world and we look at us, we're in pretty good shape. How did and you react to Helsinki? I thought the AP reporter who asked the question was outrageous. I mean, you're on a panel, a guest, you know, you're, you're, you've got two people there, and you're asking one if the other committed a crime. Now, come on, what kind of answer would you expect to get? Um, I thought the media handled the press conference very badly, and I think the media never once raised the question of, did they, did they behave properly? But I thought on the whole, you know, what harm does it do to talk? And the liberals always said, let's negotiate. And now they've got a president who actually negotiates. He meets with them, and they're attacking them. What do you think of the charge that he threw it, it, that on a foreign in, on foreign soil he said he trusted a foreign leader committed to a different set of principles more than his own intelligence agencies? Well, since the left has been after the CIA, the FBI, and everybody for generations. For them suddenly to invoke them as the absolute truth. 
But I really don't know what Trump did or didn't do. So far, I've seen no evidence of any wrongdoing on his part. Correct. I'm totally uh, on board. Not, I see nothing. But who knows what will come out of it, okay? But what I will say that the media created a circus in Helsinki. Uh, the media behaved as badly. They've seen it behave badly. But normally, at one of these joint meetings between two presidents, press conferences, they ask thoughtful questions. The question that came from the audience, from the media, was, Mr. President, do you think uh, Vladimir Putin is a criminal? And Trump could have handled it better by saying, I don't think that's an appropriate question to ask at this time. You know, when John Kerry would have press conferences with the foreign minister of Iran, did they say, um, uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, uh, when they uh, when they hang homosexuals here uh, in Iran, uh, uh, what do you what do you have to say about that? (laughs) And it's really important from my point of view in the work I do to pay very little attention to what he tweets, what he says, and so on. I look at what he does. I, 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 that's the mature way, in my opinion. Let's go to the Western Hemisphere, and the Mexicans elected a... Uh, well, they, they, they always elect. I mean, all of Latin America almost always elects people on the left, but this guy's on the left of the left. Any opinion on that? Well, in the end, they still have to sell their goods to the United States. In the end, they still have drug dealers. And in the end, none of this yields to ideology or speeches. Obrador is a serious man. I think he has to be taken seriously. Uh, But he's stuck. I mean, he's an appendage of the United States. He must trade with the United States. And he must make his peace with the drug dealers. He won't. So it's sort of a non-story. They're not going anywhere right now. Thank you, George Friedman. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy your podcast, take a moment, tell a friend to subscribe today.